Hey all, on this episode of Dudes of Kung Fu, Alex and I talk a little bit about trapping hands and uh, why do you use it and when do you use them? Do we even focus on them and what's the purpose of trapping hands? We also talk a little bit about what's being called sifudom, like how becoming a sifu kind of goes to some people's head and uh, what's it all about. And we even discuss a little bit of like the, uh, about how some of the terminology is being used in Wing Chun, like Hing and Sifu and Sibok and, and, and how it's being used and how it's being used incorrectly by, by some people. And of course, we have fun and I make fun of Alex. So, hope you sit down and enjoy. Dudes of Kung Fu. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 9 of... Dudes of Kung Fu. Yes, God, I wish I had that accent. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you get just from growing up on Shaw Brothers films. You, you learn to speak in a fake mid-Atlantic accent. You know what's funny? Um, El Rey Network was showing Way the Dragon. Oh, and, really? Yeah, and, and for years I've only been watching it in Cantonese, which is the way I preferred. It's way funnier. It's the way Bruce Lee envisioned it. But it was the dubbed in English version. And I realized how many lines I use from that movie just mucking around, like, you have to put your hip into it. <laughs> like, all of that stuff, you know. I heard Chinese boxing lacks any real power, right? You only <laughs> like power when you're a beginner. Like, all that stuff I say all the time is all from Way of the Dragon. Like, it's just been so long since I saw it, I didn't realize how much I shamelessly rip off that movie. That's awesome, man. So how I you been, man? I'm good. Well, I'm so old, I actually saw some of these movies in the movie theater. Wow, wow. Yeah, I mean, I saw them in the movie theater as, like, matinees years later as replays or whatever, but, yeah, I wasn't even I wasn't even a piece of protein when those movies came out, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, when we were kids, we used to go up to the Sanders movie theater by Prospect Park, and I remember I remember watching the, um, the double feature, which was, oh, God. They, they, they changed the name of one of them. You, uh, oh, you mean the you mean the original titles of those yeah. movies like, um, it, like it wasn't called the Big Boss. They actually called that one Fist of Fury. Right, that was the Fist of Fury. Yeah, Fist Chinese of Fury was Chinese Connection because they like, wanted to market it like French Connection. Yeah, right. Yeah, I remember, so I remember watching double feature on that, and it was just uh, and uh, End of the Dragon, which I guess they just played whenever, like they had nothing else to play that weekend. They would stick End of the Dragon in, right? Get a nice crowd in, and right. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, that's awesome. Hey, did I? I don't remember because it's been now two weeks since we had our last episode. Did I tell you about my second meeting with Angela Mao and Jihan Jay? No, no. You mentioned the first time, but not the second. Right. So, um, yeah, so something like really kind of epic in the martial arts world happened last week or maybe it was, yeah, no, it was last weekend. Um, so basically I mentioned before uh, Angela Mao, who many people know, uh, you know played Bruce Lee's sister in, um, in the flashback scene in Enter the Dragon, but she herself was like a very famous kind of, she was known as Lady Kung Fu and did um, Hapkido and when Taekwondo strikes and all these like amazing movies, the tournament, uh, Broken Oath, like all these, she was like amazing, right? The female Bruce Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, she basically went under the radar in 93 and came to New York and has been running a restaurant ever since. And I've heard, you know, for many years that there was a rumor that she was in New York, but I mean, good luck trying to find a Chinese restaurant in New York, right? That, that's <laughs> owned by somebody, right? So anyway, one of my friends, 
actually located the restaurant that she owns and went there and met her and it was like a big deal. So I decided to go there. And I think I mentioned that on the last podcast. I went there and met her. It was totally cool. It was amazing. We to- I totally spooked her out by pe- speaking Cantonese to her. And then my friend Bobby Samuels, who who trained with Sammo Hung, and, and he happens to be African-American, he also speaks Cantonese. Right. And we totally freaked her out. Like She was like, what? But anyway, the next week, um, we went back to our restaurant because uh, one of my good friends, Hector Martinez, had actually arranged a meeting between her and Grandmaster Jihan Jay. Now, for people who don't know who Jihan Jay is, he's the second guy who fought Bruce Lee in Game of Death. He's the Hapkido guy with the white uniform with the gold trim. And um, so, you know, the guy's pretty cool because he's actually one of the guys who fought Bruce Lee on the big screen, which is like, at these days, you know, there are very few of those people left, and they're basically like royalty, right? Um, But he, uh, Grandmaster Jihan Jay was also Angela Mao's teacher for the movie Hapkido. He actually taught her Hapkido specifically for that film, and he was so impressed with her skills, he gave her like the second or third Dan Black Belt after she had just trained with him for like a year, year and a half. So, um... I thought that just happened in JKD. (laughs) <laughs> no, you need a weekend for that. Oh, a year and a half is by the time year and a half you already have like twenty certifications. Right? <laughs> so anyway, um she basically, although she had formal opera acting in Taiwan, she basically considers Jihan Jay her Sifu because he was the only one who gave her formal martial arts training. Well, here's the crazy thing. Grandmaster Jian Jay has been living in New Jersey since the 70s, all right? And she's been in New York since, uh, you know, since the 90s, like I said. They had no idea that they were actually so close to each other. So they have not seen each other for like 42 years. Wow. And when Hector had mentioned that he knew... Uh, Jihan Jay, she was like, oh, you have to bring him. I have to see my seafood, so on and so forth. So basically, we came, we went last week to Angela Mao's restaurant with Jihan Jay from Game of Death. And she saw him for the first time. And it was like, um, you know, for the first time, I think she said in 42 years. And she was literally like almost in tears. Like, oh, nice. she's, yeah, she so loves him. And you know, he came in and, you know, Grandmaster Jian Jay, he's he's older now. He walks in. He's kind of walking on a cane. Sure. You know, it, it's if as a martial artist and as a film fan, you know, when I see that, it, it's it's sweet that he's still around and doing his thing. But it's also, you know, when you think about how old most of these people are now, it, it gets harder and harder to see. She, like, embraced him, let him sit down. They took photos. And, you know, a bunch of people brought, like, you know, memorabilia that they signed. We took a bunch of photos together. But the crazy thing was is Angela Mount doesn't speak English, even though she's been here for, like, you know, such a long time. So I was the translator for her. She also speaks Cantonese. And this was like the coolest thing. My friend Vincent Lin was there who never, I've known Vincent for many years, but I never revealed to him that I can actually really speak Cantonese. He just thought I knew a few words or understood something. And I basically was the translator. And so like Jian Jay would say something and I would translate into Cantonese and Angela would say something. I translate back to English. Hector was asking a bunch of stuff and it was like, and it was totally cool. And like everyone at the restaurant was like, who the hell is this white guy speaking Chinese? Right. (laughs) And, but it was really amazing that, you know, there was just a moment where I was like, I realized I'm sitting at a table next to one of my best friends, Vincent Lin, who fought Jackie Chan in Operation Condor and did a bunch of movies with Donnie Yen and all these like, you know, action movies from the late 80s. He's like a Hong Kong dude, right? And then Angela Mao, who's in all these iconic movies, including Enter the Dragon, and Jihan Jae, who fought Bruce Lee in Game of Death. And I'm like, I'm literally at, I'm just at the same table eating with them, chatting with them and translating. And I just realized like, you know, 
everything I always wanted when I was a kid basically happened in that one night. That's you know? cool. and, and so it was it was really amazing. Um, Grandmaster Gianj is one of the sweetest men you'll ever meet. I uh, would love to have the chance to see him again. Um, Angela, I, I will I will go to her restaurant at least once a month from now on just to see her because she was so sweet and so nice and and she's always been so great. And a couple times I've met her, so that was a really beautiful thing. And 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 so um, you know, hey Sean, next time if you're ever up in here, we should go to her restaurant on a weekend. I'll take you there and introduce you. Yeah, it's so great. weird because you think like Sue Lin from Enter the Dragon, who sure, you know she has to yeah. like kill her, kill her before Bob Wall puts her greasy hands, his greasy hands on her, right? <laughs> and and it's like, Which you know. probably happens to him in real life several times a month. <laughs> so I was like amazed because this was the first Kung Fu movie I ever saw. And I walk into the restaurant, like you just see Angela Mao at the cash register, like just run in that place like a boss. And you're like, right, right, right. you're like, what? This is like Lady Whirlwind. Like, and she's just like taking orders at a Chinese restaurant. It's crazy. Right. That's amazing. And I, I met her son who's like six foot four. He owns the restaurant next door, which has a bunch of Angela Mao memorabilia in it. It's just crazy. So anyway, it was, it was a lot of fun. I, I hope to do it again. Would love to take you there sometime. Yeah. That sounds like a blast, dude. Thanks a lot. I, I, I that would be a lot of fun, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would, I would definitely get get off on that. That would be pretty damn cool. Right. So, hey, what's this news about Conor McGregor and a boxing license? You know, before we do that, oh, why don't we mention right. about um, Sifu Joseph Mann? Oh, yes, of course, of course. Uh, yeah, so for um, most of you guys who are connected uh, uh, either with my public page or, or um, you know, it's kind of a tight-knit community here in uh in New York, as far as Wing Chun goes, um, yeah, uh, Sifu Joseph Mann, who's a, uh, a Wing Chun Sifu from the UK, uh, I believe from the London area, if I'm not mistaken, uh, he's the father of one of my good friends, Teresa Mann, uh, who's also a Wing Chun Sifu. She learned from her father. She's been living in New York for uh, quite a while now. I actually met her, I think, all the way back in 2005 and uh, been friends with her ever since. She was actually one of my first... Uh, Wing Chun friends who are kind of outside of the the Leung Ting sphere because uh, while I was teaching uh, Leung Ting Wing Chun, I mean most of the people that I would see were you know Leung Ting Wing Chun people or whatever. So she was one of the first of my kind of Wing Chun friends outside of my uh, specific lineage, and we've always been um, you know pretty close friends or whatever. But uh, this past Wednesday. Uh, her father passed away quite suddenly. In fact, uh, she had mentioned to me that she even talked to him on the phone that day, so it was uh, something that was pretty sudden. So, of course, this is very shocking news. Um, her father, uh, uh, Joseph Mann, was a student of uh, the late um, Grandmaster Lee Singh. Lee Singh was also one of uh, Grandmaster Yip Man's students, so they're, they're also from the Yip Man line, and, and Sifu Joseph Mann's kind of uh, focus in Wing Chun was promoting the cultural heritage of Chinese martial arts uh, through through Wing Chun as a vehicle. So he was all about bringing people together and, and unifying the various factions of Wing Chun. And he wasn't one of these guys who's kind of trumpeting his style as being the best over the others. Um, he was somebody who liked to kind of unify everybody. He was actually happy that uh, Teresa had come to my school a couple times and trained with me. And he one time on Facebook told me like, oh, he wished that he she wasn't uh, so busy that she could come and train with me more. So I mean, for someone to be that open, especially a Chinese Sifu that let his daughter come and train with another Sifu like a, really tells you a lot about um, what his character was like. So obviously when he passed away suddenly this past Wednesday, um, it was kind of a big shock to everybody. Um, obviously a big shock to, for uh, Teresa. So I posted a little something on my public Facebook page uh, offering condolences. Uh, she has since gone back to uh, the UK to handle all the arrangements and stuff. So, you know, um, I just want
wanted to say, I guess, publicly what I've already said on on the on my uh, Facebook page, you know, um, uh, offering uh, um, City Wing Chun, my school, and obviously myself offering sincere condolences to Teresa Mann and her family and, uh, you know, wishing them all the best. And, and, you know, I'll be seeing her soon when she comes back where we uh, have planned to do some projects together. So, um, yeah. So anyway, that's uh, that's. Uh, just wanted to, yeah. Thanks for reminding me. I'm glad, I'm glad we said that. Yeah, I, I didn't know. I don't know her at all. Um, but I did follow her husband on fa- her husband, her father on Facebook, and um, you get to know somebody a little bit, you know. And I, I, I really, sure. I kind of, I felt bad a little bit. I was like, oh, you know, he seems like he just seemed like a nice guy, you know. I just uh, super nice. You know, it's like you see pictures. He's always smiling and everything. And so many people take what they what we do so serious. And he just kind of looked like his students looked happy. He looked happy, and I. I felt bad for her. I know so many of um, so many people that I know know her. So I, yes. I, I I don't know. I'm not even friends with her on Facebook, but I, I so many people I know know her. I I I, I felt for her. I you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But, All right. Um. So people hug people you love. Now let's move on and have some fun here. Absolutely, Conor McGregor boxing license. Yeah, California. That's, that's kind of like odd, dude. Like. Okay, so this is all, this is all about the uh, the Mayweather fight, right? Or, or at least teasing. Or at least the that's what we fight. that's what we presume, right? That's what's always been teased about it. De- teasing the Mayweather fight, but you know, with Connor, you never know. Connor's so, you know, he's so Connor. So it's yes. like, yeah, you, Connor, he has the, he has the one title now, right? Because he he gave up the. Uh, well, he didn't give it up. They took it. They said he relinquished it. He didn't relinquish it. They, yeah, and and actually they did that in a really lame way too. You know, the only reason they did that is because they lost the Cormier Johnson title right, fight. Exactly right. So then, and you know, it's always like UFC and their strange business decisions. Sometimes it's like, yeah, obviously he was going to have to relinquish the belt at some point or whatever. But this was a bit premature, and this was just because of that one card. And and that's where you kind of have to question the ethics of the UFC a little bit. Right, now they got the what, Swanson versus going to fight Holloway. No, 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 uh, Holloway and Pettis for the interim title. Okay, Holloway so, and Pettis. That's not it. Why do they even have an interim title? Well, here's the thing, because uh, Jose Aldo got the interim title when he beat Frankie Edgar, right? Right, but now he's the And champion. then he got promoted. Yeah, which is kind of like, well, if he got promoted, what's then the big deal? It. But I have a feeling that whenever you have an interim title, they always want to unify it to make it, like, double legit. So they promoted him, which makes it feel like, okay, well, he's now the champion, but it's still not legit until he fights for it. So then they, they make this other interim fight for an interim belt, and then they fight, and then they finally unify the belt or whatever. Yeah. Which I, okay. I don't know. I mean, seems like a bit, but, you know, I, I'm assuming that that's kind of what their logic is. Right, right, right. All right, because, I mean, you know, I think everybody in – except you, you. You're the only person I know of that doesn't want to see Khabib versus Ghana. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really, I'm not actually not that excited about it. But but Connor versus Mayweather, if that happened, several things. Okay, so if Connor, if Connor fights Mayweather, and it's it's strictly a boxing match, you know, I don't know how, I don't know how well that's going to go for Connor. Yeah, but here's the thing. My last, I I've been a Connor McGregor fan for a long time. You know that we both yeah, been yeah, Connor McGregor both, fans. Yeah. But my last shred of doubt was before the Eddie Alvarez fight because I thought Eddie Alvarez would be able to grind him out like um, Chad Mendes did to him a little bit in their fight. And after what I saw what, what Conor did to Eddie Alvarez, I have a really hard time doubting Conor McGregor can do anything. Can you imagine if Conor 
fucking beats Floyd Mayweather in boxing. That'd be amazing. That would be the death knell of boxing. It would be that would be the end of boxing. They would just have to close up shop. Right. It would, I mean, it would be so awesome. But the only problem with it, and this is not an original thought, I watched um, a little clip of um, Tyrone Woodley mm-hmm. talking on TMZ, mm-hmm. and he says if Conor fights Floyd, and he and he thinks he should if he can get that kind of money, mm-hmm. it would Conor would never fight in MMA again. Yeah, why would he? The money's insane. You know, he's going to make fifty, a hundred million for that fight. Right. It's like that he'd never have to fight again. Do you hear these things where, where like Mayweather's getting pissed off when uh, Conor McGregor's being compared to you know like Conor's being kind of called the Floyd Mayweather of boxing? He's like he hasn't achieved what I've achieved and blah 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 blah. And here's the thing: what Floyd Mayweather has achieved is unbelievable, and he's a very smart businessman, and his you know his his money his money team or whatever he calls it there they're they're the smartest or whatever. And say what you want about his boring ass boxing style. But he wins, he gets paid, right. and the dude is really smart, all right? But it's very funny that he gets so butthurt about the legacy thing, saying, like, Connor hasn't done what I've done because, of course, when you compare the records of, like, a boxer, you know, he's like, what, what is Mayweather, like, 50 or 60-something and 0 or some crazy well, like that? actually 49 and 0. 49 and 0, right? So and then, of course, when— Connor would be, be fight number 50. Right. And, of course, most MMA fighters don't— ever fight that many fights you know what i mean because this mma it's much more grind on the body in my opinion also i guess because the money's not there people stay around as long right so but the funny thing is like he gets so hurt like he hasn't done what i've done or whatever he just hasn't made the money i made but it's like but floyd the the mma and the ufc is a new sport it doesn't make the money you make because it's new floyd came into one of the most lucrative sports ever Already, it was already that way before he even started, right. and he just learned a way to, you know, optimize that. But Connor is actually the first one who's creating this market for high-level prize fighters within MMA. GSP, for all of his achievements or whatever, didn't earn what what Connor's been earning, nor did Anderson Silva. So. Right. To be quite fair, actually, Connor is much more of a pioneer, which, in my opinion, gives him a lot more credit than Floyd Mayweather, who's already coming into a very lucrative sport already. And, um, you know, if you compare the amount of money that was made before by Connor and other fighters to what Connor makes now, he's actually done more than Floyd Mayweather has done for boxing, in my opinion. Um, so uh, that's that's going to be interesting. I mean, um, Connor said something. He says, hey, uh, Floyd has been hit before and he has been in trouble and Floyd is getting older and age waits for nobody. So I think Connor is betting more on his age and athleticism, his youth and athleticism to kind of take out a slightly more aged Floyd Mayweather, which is kind of what he said in the last couple of days. So that's an interesting take too. I mean, do you know the pay-per-view buys on that, on that fight? I don't know. I mean, I mean, some, some some boxing people don't think it would be as big of a draw because they don't think boxing fans really know that much about MMA or they don't really know who Conor McGregor is. So there's a whole contingent that thinks it's not the money fight of like, you know, other names in boxing like a Canelo or something like that. Right. Um, 
so I don't know. But again, I, I don't know enough about boxing these days. You know, if, if you want to talk to me about boxing, I'm more like, let's talk about the old Muhammad Ali, Sonny Liston, Floyd right, Patterson. Yeah, let's sure. talk about those fights. That's, I actually know something about that. I don't really know that much about boxing from the last 20 years. So um, I, you know, don't, can't really speak too authoritatively on that. What is interesting, though, is... Um, how much did Connor get for his second Nate Diaz fight? It was like two million or something like that, right? I mean, that was that was before the pay per view buy. Right, right, so right. obviously, Connor. I think he. I think Connor got two million, and Nate got. One million, right? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, but that's before pay-per-view buys and sponsorships and all the other stuff. So obviously, Connor probably got a lot more money than that, and so did Nate. But that's the thing. That's 2016. Connor got a disclosed pay of two million for the Rumble in the Jungle with George Foreman and Muhammad Ali back in I think '74. They got paid five million for that fight each. Right, right yeah, look at that. You know what I mean? So we're looking like 40 years ago. They were making way more money than they're making now. So. Um, you know, what Connor has done is pretty incredible considering how lowly the pay is in MMA and UFC. Yeah, no, it's true. It's like it's, it's coming behind on the eight ball. It's, you know, um, you can't you can't compare sports. Everybody wants to compare boxing and MMA when it comes to money. And and, and you can't compare sports even when they're similar. You know, um, no like, sport, it would be like comparing rugby and, rugby and football, for example. But even like two American sports you can't compare baseball and football. Right. You know, baseball and football, the money in baseball is ridiculous compared to football. And to say that a baseball player who's making $27 million a year is more important to the sport than a football player making $4 million a year or $5 million mm-hmm. a year is ridiculous. Because you can't compare salaries that way. In boxing and MMA, you can't right. say, oh, this guy's more important in boxing because he made $100 million. Yes, it's no then comparison. This guy here in MMA only made two million. It's just, it's, it's just, there's no comparison. It's like, it's exactly. like saying, any, you know what? It's almost like any industry. You can turn around and say, okay, we're going to compare, you know, how important you are to an industry. You could take a guy who works in New York versus some guy who works in bums fuck Montana, and <laughs> you know, you know, like where you know bums fuck Montana, where you can buy a house for thirty-seven bucks unless you want a driveway, then it's forty-seven bucks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and in New York, where you're paying, you know, four thousand dollars a month rent, just for a toilet, for a toilet, you <laughs> know, where the toilet seat comes down, that's your bed. You know, it's just you can't compare money. It's just you right, know. right. But a Floyd always defaults to the hard numbers on that, rather than the the general. You know, I think when people are comparing Floyd or Connor to Floyd within MMA, they're meaning about his general impact and the name and the marquee status. And they're not talking about the actual numbers, but Floyd has to get so defensive. It just shows you kind of, kind of what his, his whole deal is. You know what I mean? So um, I don't know, but Hey, if, if that fight happens, that would be great. I mean, look, if Connor goes there and gets, you know, because Connor's not going to fight unless he's getting the money that he should be getting. Right. And if he goes in there and gets walloped, by Floyd Mayweather for eight rounds or ten rounds or whatever, he can still retire, and then he, and he would have nothing to to say that he didn't try it. He made all the money in the world, and who gives a shit? He only needs one fight against Floyd Mayweather, right, and then right, to right, be right. set sure. for life, you know. So, um, uh, I say he should just go for it. I mean, at this point, 
the money in MMA is 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 lean, and and really, who are the big marquee fights? I don't think anybody gives a crap about Khabib Nurmagomedov or or Tony Ferguson. I mean, who wants to, who gives a shit about seeing him fight either one of those guys? Well, Tyron you. Woodley, maybe Nate That's Diaz a third say. Nate Diaz a third time, probably. But the money's going to have to be right now. Right. That's what I say. Who would you rather see? What, what would you rather see now? Would you rather see Conor McGregor fight Khabib or Tony Ferguson, or or Kind of fight Tyrone Woodley. I think I'd rather see Tyrone Woodley, for sure. Right, because I mean, it's. I think that would be incredible. Tyrone yeah. Woodley's a fucking beast, dude. He is a beast. He is a beast. He is a beast. For, for you know, I because off the air, we um, Alex and I were talking a little bit, and you know, just from like the picture of Tyrone Woodley, Tyrone Woodley in my head, I had him at one eighty five, and Alex corrected me that he's only one seventy. Right. He's a beast for 170. Absolutely, like, that would be that would be pretty 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 intense. Pretty intense. yeah. Like like I mentioned before, when I look at the respective heights of these guys who fight at the different weight classes, like you know, if I'm not really training hard, I walk around at like 171. So I'm basically like a welterweight, but I'm five foot seven, and like the guys who fight at welterweight are like six one, six two, with these huge frames. And I go, how do those guys make it to my weight? And I look at the guys who are like five foot seven, and they're fighting at like one thirty five, and I'm like, what? <laughs> I would be well, at death's, I'd be at death's door if I cut weight to one thirty five. That'd be my, the I end think of my it. My leg weighs one seventy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, young man, we got some questions for us this week. Let's do it. Let's pound these out, man. Let's mm. pound these out. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's pound them out. <laughs> I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit weird today. I had to That's go to okay. the dentist. I'm, I had to go to the dentist, and I'm. I'm oh, that makes sense. That makes my, sense. My face, believe it or not, is still numb. So. Oh, okay. Um, what's the purpose of trapping hands for you? Um, mm. What is the what, What's its main purpose, in your opinion? Why do, do you want to do? Why you want you, do you want to tackle this one first? Okay, I'll t- I'll tackle it from a little bit from a uh, from a JKD perspective, um, mm-hmm. at least in how I kn- I know learned and do JKD. Mm-hmm. When it comes to trapping, tra- we always say trapping is a, uh, a we we say byproduct of hitting. So hitting is the main goal, right? Mm-hmm. So why would you trap? You you trap for one of four reasons. You trap to prevent an obstruction. You trap to remove an obstruction. You trap to prevent a counterattack or to destroy structure. Now, what do those mean? I'll go through them real quick. A trap to prevent an obstruction, meaning I know I I, I know what the guy's gonna do when I when I go to make a movement forward. This guy puts up his arm, so you know to not even give him that shot. I'm gonna rush him with let's just call it pox out to just pox out right down his center, just to make sure that he cannot put an obstruction of his center line. And I have a clear path to center. Then mm-hmm. we have remove obstruction. You've, you've faked a jab, or you go to throw a jab, or a lead, or something, whatever. And an obstruction comes up. He puts up some sort of blocking technique. Mm-hmm. You trap for whatever trap you use to remove that obstruction. Trapping to prevent a counter. This was, this is Steve Golden, Steve Golden 101. <laughs> If he knew you're going to come back with a counterattack, sometimes he'll trap your arm just to prevent you from countering. It's it's the way it, he'll draw your attack, and it's one of the five ways of attacking. So he'll use trapping in 
attack by draw. We'll get one day we'll have a discussion on the five ways of attack. And sure. so many people, so many people confuse hand immobilization attack with trapping. That one one is a, a a strategy, the other one is a tool. So Steve will use trapping in attack by drawing. And um, people say, oh, that's not attack by drawing. That's now hand immobilization attack because he used a trap. No. It's uh, you know, that that would be a really good podcast one day. Absolutely, I would look very much forward to that. My students would shoot me for giving away all that information, but it would be, be fun. Doesn't matter. And no one would. No one would retain it anyway. <laughs> right, exactly right. And then uh, trapping to destroy structure, which is basically, I, I don't know the right way of saying it because I'm an idiot, but picture using a trap almost to push a guy over. To right. to get him off centered, you know. Um, if you if you there's so many different ways of doing in JKD epoxy. I'm not gonna talk. I can't talk for Wing Chun on this. In, in, in JKD we talk about different types of epoxy, um, and it really boils down to energy and focus. And what I'm talking about here is the kind of epoxy where you're driving your your opponent's elbow into his center line to uproot him and move him back. To destroy his structure, and that was the purpose of the trap. It could be to move him into a a, a a wall, into the sign, just to get him off balance, so you can take him down, whatever. So that that's why I would say why trap? You trap because of those four reasons. Right. Yeah, actually, now, Alex, uh, you can correct me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I you know, like most people say, I totally agree with you. But <laughs> no, actually, those are really great. I mean, if you if you look at the main reasons, um, you know, there has to be a function behind it. And one of the things that kind of, you know, not to, to, to quote a family guy, but uh, one of the things that grinds my gears is to look at a bunch of people practicing Chi Sao or Wing Chun or JKD or whatever, doing a bunch of so-called trapping drills. But y you can tell just by how they do it that they, there's no greater meaning behind it. They're doing it because it looks cool or it's some moves or it's some stuff to practice, right? right? As opposed to it being a function-based um, application, drill, methodology, whatever. Um, I think the four that you um, explained uh, make a lot of sense. Um, I I personally, in my Wing Chun, I, I hate the word trapping. When somebody's like, yo, bro, in Wing Chun, did you like, do you like, did, I like the trapping hands in Wing Chun. I, and they'll be like, yeah, can you teach me some trapping hands? And then I'll be like, I, I don't I do not do trapping hands. And they'll be like, what? <laughs> but I thought you'd do like Wing Chun, bro. Like, you know, because I do like boxing and Krav Maga and I do judo and I do Puerto Rican judo and I got I, I got a gun license and I do ninjutsu. And I just want to come to your Wing Chun school to learn trapping. Actually, that happens a lot. People, oh, you know, sure. they come in and they say they know 10 different things. That they, and, and it's so funny how they, they don't realize how brutally insulting they're being when they're trying to be humble by showing you how much they know. Because it's like, yeah, I've done boxing, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. And I don't really want to learn Wing Chun like a system. I just want to learn trapping hands <laughs> so, yeah, so I can like, put it into my style. And the funny thing is it's like, this idea that you can learn martial arts as if you're going to a buffet in Koreatown always baffles my mind. You know what I mean? It's like if you want to learn something, even if your ulterior motive is just to, to dissect one section of it, the only way 
in my opinion, that you can really understand any one section of a martial art is if you actually try to train that martial art fully and completely. If you understand the methodology that's behind that martial art, you will better understand what that one portion is. And then you can see if it actually even does fit to what you do or not. And it's the same thing like if you were a Brazilian jiu-jitsu person only because you wanted to learn arm locks. Right. But it's like, but I, I don't really want to learn anything about positional control or holding the mount or passing the guard or, or, or side mount or anything like that. I just want to learn the arm locks. And, and if somebody could, in theory, teach you a number of different arm locks from Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but devoid of any kind of controlling movements and, and ground control and all the stuff you need to make the stuff work, it would be completely useless. So... I, I feel it's the same way when these kind of buffet line martial arts people, they come to my school and they're like, oh, I just want to learn trapping hands or whatever. And it's like, well, sorry, I'm going to put you in a class where you're going to have to learn step by step from day one from the beginning. And, and you're going to be in there as a beginner. You, you can't just like cut in line and learn some cool stuff that I'm teaching in the corner just because you decided you're going to be smarter than everyone else who comes to my school. You know, those idiots, they're spending so much time learning basics and shit. <laughs> You should know all you need to do is go up to the Steve and just ask him, hey, can you teach me that shit instead? And he'll go, yeah, totally. You know what I mean? No why? Problem. Because we'll you're the one with who. Bugie. Right. We'll start with Buji. You know why? Because you asked. You know what I mean? So it's 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 so ridiculous. It's like, dude, get out of here. So for, for that reason, I, I, I kind of categorically say that I don't teach trapping hands just because it's a weird buzzword that right. people use when they come in and I just hate it. Second of all, like, like you had mentioned, all trapping should be done off of the hit. Your primary goal is to hit. And that is 100% what Wing Chun is about. We say, which is chase the body, don't chase the hands. Very famous Wing Chun motto, right? right? So the problem is, if you are constantly trying to trap somebody's arms, like do a lap cell, pack cell, this combination, that combination, in here, insert this, da 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 da, you have to start to wonder how much your focus is on chasing hands and doing moves and whether you are losing the focus on what you should be doing, which is actually hitting your opponent, right? right. So if, you're, if your punch is obstructed on the way to your opponent, then you have an opportunity to do any of the four things that you know you had mentioned before you know destroy their structure prevent something open something so on and so forth but if you're going in trying to tie up the arms and control then it's very easy for you to get caught up in this hand chasing game and the more you chase hands the bigger chance you're going to get cracked. Like you talked about that funny Hubud Lubud story. You know, this guy thought that, you know, that was going to help him in, in boxing when it's like a very specific contextual thing. And then, you know, instead of thinking that he needed to train against the boxer, he just thought he needed to do that drill more. And I'm afraid that a lot of Wing Chun people practice Wing Chun the same way. They do a bunch of Chiso so-called trapping drills, and then they, they do some sparring with somebody who gives them a couple quick boxing punches, and then they go, instead of training against that, they think they need to do more Chiso. And that's the problem. So I, well, controlling your opponent's arms is definitely part of what we do in Wing Chun. I, I, I treat it a lot more like a byproduct of good Wing Chun positioning, of good Wing Chun, of following good Wing Chun principles, but not a main directive of Wing Chun. I wouldn't say the main focus of Wing Chun is to trap the opponent's hands. I would say it's punch the guy and knock him out. <laughs> And, 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 and everything else is is, is support system. Uh, the, great, the great, late, great Jesse Glover said, Chisau is just backup for your straight punches, man. 
<laughs> and and I think as long as it's kind of kept in that way, um, I think then we won't lose focus and we won't become a bunch of kind of patty cake hand chasers, you know? Well, you know, this wasn't on the plan to talk about, but I wanted to mention it because I thought of it when you were talking. One of the things I love you, you'll see uh, on JKD forums a lot in these Facebook groups mm-hmm. is people... <laughs> I'm thinking about buying a mukjong yes. or a wooden man. What can I learn from it? <laughs> right. so, uh, make, sure so, you, make sure you get a talkative one. <laughs> right. So That's exactly right. So I literally saw one the other day, Alex, you would have fucking peed your pants. The guy posted... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to buy a wooden dummy, and then he puts parentheses, also known as a Foshan. <laughs> oh, my God. There you go. Here, we're talking about an expert here. <laughs> he is Chinese. What should, I, what should I expect to learn from it? So I'm like, all right, a couple of things. <laughs> I'm like, when you order your Foshan. <laughs> I can't help it. I'm being, I'm like. Dude, that's a pretty big fucking city to put into your living room. You that's know? right. Like, How are you going to fit that in there? It's also, for anyone who's been to Foshan or Fatan, it's polluted as shit, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? From this guy's picture, I kind of look like it probably would fit in. But, <laughs> but like, what people have this, especially JKDers that I know, they have this idea of, oh, I'm going to learn something from the John. Sure. What, 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 what do you learn from the John? Hey, mm-hmm. what did the John teach you? Right. Folks, and you know what? Alex and I have never spoken about this. So he may have a completely different opinion, and that's fine. He's allowed to be wrong, too. It's true. <laughs> Ask my you're wife. Not, you're not going to learn anything from a John. A John is going to clean up what you already know. You're not really going to learn, unless you have a teacher standing next to you, he can teach you things using the John. But the John itself is not going to teach you anything. Unless the John has a voice box, like Alex, unless it can talk, mm-hmm. he can't teach you anything. You sitting there banging on a John is going to give you numb hands. Now, unless you know what you're doing, you can try and impersonate the, the John sets. It's going to do you no good unless you know how to interpret the John sets. Right. And to sit there and say you're going to learn from the John, I don't, I don't see how you learn from a John. I see how a Wing Chun man or a JKD man with a proper instruction can get more self-perfection through the use of the jong. It can tighten up your, your Wing Chun. It can tighten up your structure. It can tighten up your focus. But it's not going to teach you anything new. It's not going to sit there and say, oh, no, no, this is how you, you do a pox out. No, I'm sorry. You can, you can, if you don't know what the fuck you're doing, when you buy a jong. You're just going to be better at not knowing what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> More efficient at it. More not efficient. <laughs> you're going to be really, really good at not knowing what the fuck you're doing. And you'll be about uh, $500 to $1,500 later in the wallet. <laughs> right. It's like, seriously, if you're going to spend $1,000 on a jong, don't spend $1,000 on a jong. Find someone to teach you something. <laughs> But you know what? You're totally spot on correct as far as that goes. The problem is, and this is, I had mentioned this on previous podcasts before. One of the things I hate about Kung Fu, and I say this as someone who teaches Kung Fu for a living, and I am also known as the Kung Fu genius, but one of the things I hate about Kung Fu is it's always about, and you're going to hate this because I'm going to use the same fancy French word again, it's always about the accoutrements. It's like 
what is the deal with people who say that they practice Kung Fu? And I'm just going to say Wing Chun in particular, because most of the other guys who do other Kung Fu styles, at least they're doing some cool forms and stuff like that. I'm just going to talk about my own peeps here, these so-called Wing Chun peeps. Why is it that people who do Wing Chun, especially the people who are self-taught from YouTube, or maybe they learned for five months from one guy and the rest of it they taught themselves. Why? Hold on, that's my daughter in the background. <laughs> Why do people who practice Wing Chun always think that it's not about getting a really solid qualified instructor and learning these things step by step over time from someone who's going to correct them and teach them and give a crap about what they're doing but it's about buying like ooh have you seen these iron rings that that are like hooked together so when you punch they're going to keep your wrist together and then I'm going to get a rattan ring and I'm going to get a wooden dummy and a balancing beam and I'm going to get like this thing and this wall bag and this thing and 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 it's all like they think that they can kind of buy kung fu by by getting a bunch of like funny accessories and and stuff that if other people come in they'll go oh this guy does kung fu look he's got rattan rings on the wall he must know what the hell he's doing as opposed to like you you find a good instructor and you just put in the freaking hours of time and practice it takes to get good at anything and not worry about oh I'm, i gotta get a wound dummy so that people know i'm doing wing chun or whatever i mean when i went through the whole process of learning wooden dummy and i trained it like crazy and i did the wooden dummy chi sao and the sets and the applications and everything and now i barely practice wooden dummy anymore I'll only practice it when i teach it to my students because i've done it so much and most of the utility of the wooden dummy isn't there for me anymore because I have paved that groove really deep over a number of years. And I'm much more at this point having, you know, learned, I guess what you could say, the whole learning system or whatever, much more satisfied with having just a solid one hour of practice and sparring and cheese out with one of my students than hitting away and clacking away on the dummy anymore. You know what I mean? But people always think that that's the thing that's going to to fill in the gap of their ignorance. It's not the hard training. It's not the finding a real instructor who's going to tell you the one thing none of these people want to hear. You know what that is, Sean? What's that, boss? You're wrong. They don't want to hear that. A wooden dummy is not going to say, hey, look at your foot. It's in the wrong position. No, you don't need to stand in this wooden dummy. You need to stand in the corner and practice your turning, your stance, your advancing step. You need to practice your posture. You need to look in the mirror while you do your turning and make sure that your body is shifting correctly. You need to punch this way and not this way. That is what you get when you get an instructor who gives a crap about you. But instead of doing that, it's let's just go to YouTube, copy a bunch of drills, get a wooden dummy, hit it a bunch of times, go online and ask people for advice on how to use this, this, and this, and then buffet line everything together, and suddenly I teach Wing Chun and I know Wing Chun. Right. And that's the problem. It's the stupid accoutrements and accessories of Kung Fu that make that cheapen it. And people forget that the meaning of Kung Fu is achievement through hard work and effort and not... It, do, you, do you have the latest rattan? What size rattan rings do you use, or some nonsense like that? Yeah, you know. With that said, though, you know where I can get a good dummy, and what can it teach me? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got, I got a great one. I also have a bridge in Brooklyn too. I need to sell you. <laughs> but yeah, you see it on JKD forms a lot of them. You know, um, they'll be like, "Oh, I'm gonna 
you know, I, there's a Wing Chun school in my in my city, and I'm going to go there and uh, try to just just I don't want to learn the whole system. I just want to, you know, get the useful stuff out of there. <laughs> Not all the crap that yeah, it's how insulting that is. The guy there doesn't right. even realize most of this crap he's doing is useless. But you're the one that understands that only these couple things are good, and you're going to steal that from them. Well, that's the problem. One of the problems with JKD people. JKD people think they're experts in every martial art. Mm-hmm. They just do. They think like, oh, well, I, I do JKD, so I know how to. I they they I, I've mentioned it before, other times on this on this podcast. They they think they develop the JKD eye. I can mm. see what's useful and what's not, and it's right. just a whole bunch of fucking bullshit. You know, it's just it's just it's it's moronic. And, and listen, I love I love Jeet Kune Do. I love I love what Jeet Kune Do can do. I love I love what I've learned through the study of Jeet Kune Do, but man, JKD people fucking piss me off with... You said this me and Wing Chun people. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. All right, let's do it. Um, You're the one with the questions. I got to wait for you. That's right. Remember that, I, I don't, bitch. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't go on our Facebook page online, so for anybody who sends in questions... Don't assume that that's me answering it. <laughs> Even if Sean pretends he's me, it's not me. Trust me. You got to see when I pretend I'm Alex at the bank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Next question was, um, can you compare the JKD straight lead and blitz footwork to Wing Chun's Buma and straight punch from the long pole? Uh-huh. Okay. Do you want I'm me gonna, to tackle this or do you I'm, want this no, one? No, you, 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 you can talk about that one, young man. Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's no comparison. This is apples and orange comparison. So for those who don't know, at least in the Yip Man system, um, in most of the Yip Man representations, when when you learn the long pole, Loktin Bunguan, one of the fundamental exercises you learn is something um, called arrow punching. Now, just so you know, Sean, um, the the late Sifu Moyat, the late Grandmaster Moyat. I've heard of him. He called it um, battle punches or war punches, right? right? So this is basically a, um, a, a fundamental exercise where you're in a low horse dance, which is very atypical of Wing Chun, but pretty normal for the long pole. And you're basically doing an advancing step in a horse dance while you're punching kind of straight out to the side. There's a number of variations on this depending on the specific lineage. And within the Yip Man system, there is a discrepancy as to whether it is war punches or arrow punches. And the problem is a pretty straightforward one. The term tin, tin kun. Tin can be translated, well, tin is the same pronunciation as war as arrow. It's just two different <laughs> Chinese characters. So the characters are different. So if it was written down, you, you would know which one is which. But if you just listen to it, you wouldn't be able to tell. Right. So the problem is, because uh, Grandmaster Yip Man didn't write any of this stuff down, um, the jury is still out on that. I mean, honestly, as long as you can do the damn exercise, that's the only thing that matters. Right, but that's right, right. why uh, some people may have heard them called battle punches or war punches, and other people might call them arrow punches. And that's just because they're essentially um, homophones, those, those two words. Oh, what you they, call me? No. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to to call people who don't understand basic vocabulary these days. Hominid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they call you guys anymore. So uh, <laughs> so so basically, um, this is an exercise where you're training the uh, the 
a guanma, the, the pole stance. You're training the advancing stance, and you're also training the waist, and you're learning to punch in a straight line to the side, which is necessary when you're doing the buguan because it goes straight to the side. This, however, has nothing to do with fighting, okay? Uh, because uh, it's extremely atypical of how we would fight in upright standing Wing Chun. We would be giving up the center line. Uh, in pole fighting, the center line is the shoulder. So it's already modified because of the stance. We don't generally do that when we do our fist fighting. We wouldn't turn totally sideways like that and then have somebody take our back, for example, right? So. It's, it's a common fallacy that people think that the arrow or battle punches um, have direct fist fighting applications. Now, could I figure out a way in practical fighting or sparring to, to drop down and give somebody a punch to the gut and do the arrow punches from the long pole? Totally. Would it make sense? I might find a way where it makes sense, but is it necessarily something that we would do normally in Wing Chun? No. So to think that uh and and some people have drawn comparisons to bruce lee's straight lead uh and uh some items in the long pole now of course we're talking like bruce lee would say we only have two hands and two legs so of course there are going to be things that are going to be similar right there are only so many ways you can move um i think that the comparison about the long pole and bruce lee's cheat kendo especially the uh, right straight lead is a is a bit overstated and a bit overstretched because there is no indication that Bruce Lee ever learned the long pole when he when he was in Hong Kong. Now, had Bruce Lee seen the long pole or had Bruce Lee maybe seen what it looks like or a demonstration of it? I mean, I'm pretty sure, right? But um, it's it's pro pretty much common knowledge that Bruce Lee did not actually learn the Lokdin Bunguan in Hong Kong, and. Um, so to think that he somehow extracted something from the Lokdin Bunguan into his cheek kendo. I have a feeling it has a lot more to do with fencing than than the Lokdin Bunguan, for example. So um, they, in my opinion, have nothing to do with each other. Just because things bear a visual similarity doesn't mean that they're actually the same thing or that they're coming from the same source. So that's um, that's my take on that. Right. I would say the um, the only similarity between the two is what Alex mentioned with the uh, with the center line. So. The Jikindo straight lead comes from fencing, 100%. It's 100%. And because it may look like something that they do in long pole is uh, almost coincidental. The You can make an argument that the two things are similar in certain ways, but that's like saying, you know, you can make an argument that football and baseball are similar because, you know what, they both have running, they both involve a ball, they both, you know, so you can find similarities where you want to find similarities, you know. Right. But um, when you want to find a commonality between two things, if you list all the, the, uh, I don't know, the, the attributes, <laughs> the attributes, <laughs> you can find commonalities between almost anything. Right. Um, there are some, and I would say the biggest commonality between uh, long pole training and jikindo straight lead is the uh, the understanding that the shoulder is on center line. Right. That's that's a that's a big thing. When a properly thrown jikundo straight lead, the center line becomes the shoulder. Right. The shoulder becomes the center line. Right. But um, yeah, I think a lot of that is confirmation bias. It's very easy to kind of look at these things in hindsight and kind of extract something, especially if you want there to be a causal connection. I mean, this is just what's known in logic as confirmation bias. You can you you want to come to the conclusion, so then you just make sure that you cherry pick the facts. 
to um, to achieve that. And and I don't think I don't think there's anything from a historical perspective that would lend one to believe that they're connected. Now, if his question was simply not whether they're actually connected, but maybe whether they are similar, all right, because maybe he, he wasn't asking whether Bruce Lee had taken from the long pole or whatever. Maybe he was just wondering, he just wanted a straight comparison. Um, my short answer would be the um, the jinkun from the long pole arrow punching or whatever is not a fist fighting technique. It is a right. preparatory movement for learning long pole. So I, I wouldn't compare the two. It's an exercise. Yep. Next question. Next question. Um, ooh, this is going to be a fun one. Mm. Can the dude speak of the slippery slope of seafoodum and mm. how some people let the title go to their head? I will. Mm. I, I do want to say that this question comes from our friend Anthony Iglesias, who put up a uh, a video about it himself. If you're friends with Anthony, um, you'll you'll see that he uh, he made a video. Hey, you know what? Once in a while, Anthony puts videos up. I'm only kidding, but um, <laughs> and um, he, so you can check out his answer. But uh, we'd like to talk about it a little bit. And thank you, Anthony, for sending in the question, young man. All right. You want to go first? No, you're going to go first. I got to go first. Wow. Because oh, I go first all the time. No, I, you I don't go... go first all the time. You, know, you, you, only, you, you only go first when I think I'm going to be a stronger finisher. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, if you want I'll me to go, go first. first. Okay. <laughs> so it depends... Okay, so the slippery slope of, of seafoodum. I'm going to let Alex going to deal with most of this, but I'm going to talk a little bit about it. Seafoodum, and what we mean by that is people that really get high on the, uh, the title of, of being seafood, mm -hmm. some people just abuse it. They abuse it left and right. There's, there's one seafood out there I know who makes it as a, a uh, requirement that people come and do work at their house. You know, and no, I'm not talking about me with 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 Seth and Chris. Seth and Chris come here and they voluntarily do work at my house. <laughs> <laughs> this this guy actually makes it like a requirement, um, and uh, it's you know they get they get a little nuts with it. And seafoodum to me is like you know there's assholes out there who will again slap the I spoke about slap the face of some students, and they um, they, they they walk around with an air of of, of, of you know who the fuck they are when, when they're not anything special they, they, and it's just because they've either been given the title of Sifu or are a uh, a self-proclaimed Sifu you know um, I will say that when it comes to Sifu and I've spoken about this on the podcast before and Alex will definitely clean this up um, there's different ways of looking at the at the term, at the name Sifu, okay? There's Sifu that means expert, you know, expert in a, in a, in a field. That's why I think Alex mentioned like cab drivers in Hong Kong can be called Sifu. Yes, and chefs. And chefs and any kind of blue collar or whatever. And then there's Sifu father, you know? And when you look at the relationship with how, at least how I use the term Sifu, it's almost like father figure. And you don't, like, you, you wouldn't walk up to your father and say, Hey, father, please teach me something today. This is not how, how you learn from your, from, your, from your parents, right? You learn from your parents by hanging out with them, and you get into the whole idea of Kung Fu life. But people that adapt this title of Sifu kind of see it more as expert, mm -hmm. as infallible, as Pope, 
And, uh, you know, they start throwing around, like, oh, call me Sifu this week, and then they get really inflated, then it's C. Joe, and all this other bullshit. And I, I just, I think it's one of the worst things in the world is when people make people call them, call other people titles. When people call a person Sifu, it should be done out of respect and love and not out of a, a formality that's required. Outside, I mean, I guess in, inside a, a Kung Fu school, I can see it. This is the title of the teacher, and that's... But outside of the school atmosphere, that's when the whole seafoodum always seems to come into play. And um, it's, it's, it's a... Uh, when, when you see people have to be called seafood outside of the school, I kind of feel like that's when the, the slippery slope happens of this guy became no longer a friend and teacher. He became a, 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 a de facto boss, a master, and uh, it, can, it can get bad. That that's my rambling on that. I I really don't have much to say. <laughs> that, was that a general statement? You don't have much to say, or just on that? <laughs> I really don't have much to say. <laughs> like I said, I, I, I'm still numb from the dentist. <laughs> I got um, nothing else to say about that. Uh, that's all I'm gonna say about that. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I I agree uh, with a lot of your points there. I think um, part of the problem is you know Asian culture is somewhat mysterious for Westerners, so there are certain things about having a title or um, a name or something that's bestowed to you essentially in another culture that's very foreign and mysterious that uh, doesn't exist in your culture that's kind of um, uh, very attractive for people, especially, um, you know, people who've kind of done this thing their whole lives or, or maybe people who unfortunately don't have a lot of respect in, in in their life given to them and then suddenly they have earned some kind of title or whatever in martial arts and they want to use that as some kind of uh, way of earning respect in, in a life where they otherwise don't get respect, um, you know. And so sometimes the degree to which people um, demand it is also the degree to which they kind of the rest of their life kind of sucks, in my opinion, right? right. Oh, so um, so you, 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 you can look at it that way. Now, um, having said that, there are, um, I'm a very traditional uh, Chinese martial arts Sifu in that sense. My, my students call me Sifu, meaning I'm their actual, you know, um, uh, they're kind of Kung Fu mentor or whatever. I'm the direct mentor or whatever. I prefer mentor over like Kung Fu father. I just find Kung Fu father so creepy. It's like you have your own father. I have my own kids. Come you sit can, on your Kung can... Fu mentor's lap, young man. <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes my, my social media, uh, um, uh, um, I have a social media gal named Christy who handles all the stuff online and she'll always make a joke like, uh, hey, Kung Fu Daddy, what what do you want me to post this week or whatever? And I'll be like, don't say that. That is creepy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, but the people who do call me seafood, the people that I've accepted as my direct students, the ones that I'm essentially their mentor, they still call me seafood outside of the class because in, in, in essence, that is kind of the traditional way that it's done. Your seafood is your seafood. And, um, you know, it's the same way whether I'm with my seafood or or Qigong or Sibak or whatever, whether it's in training or out of training, I, I use the title, um, especially the familial titles, because um, right. uh, if somebody is your Sibak or your Sizo or something like that, and you use those titles in Chinese culture, it actually implies a closeness. So what a lot of people don't realize about the titles, especially in the Western world, is because I, under, I understand what Anthony is railing against, but he's also railing against a misuse and misunderstanding of the title by Westerners. 
Right, and then, and I just wanted to clarify something I said just because it popped into my head. I'm sorry, Alex, mm -hmm. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, fine. But what you said, like when I said about using the title outside of school, I didn't mean that to be a bad thing. Because right. my students, I don't, I don't own a school, right? So my students come here and they call me Sifu, you know, at my house. Right. What I meant, that's where the slippery slope can happen. When you, sure. No, no, no. You're totally right, which is, uh, no, you're absolutely right. I wasn't trying to say like, oh, you don't agree with me on that point. I'm going to tell you you're wrong. I, I, what I uh, want to explain is that um, it's, a, it's a gross misunderstanding by Westerners on what the title actually is. So, for example, my own students who I am their Sifu, they call me Sifu in training. They call me Sifu outside because I'm their Sifu, and that's kind of the thing that they do, and that's actually traditional. I want to also teach them uh, part of Chinese culture, but it's a two-way street. They call me Sifu. I also have to make sure that I uh, mentor them and teach them and, 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 and bring them up. It's not a matter of they have to call it to me and, and, and call me that, and I'm not going to give them anything. It, it, it's a two-way street. The the people that I call like Sibak, Kung Fu Uncle, you know what I mean? I don't call them Sifu so-and-so, I call them Sibak because right. the fact that I'm calling them Elder Uncle implies a closeness. So what I was saying about the misunderstanding is a lot of Westerners, they think it's a title that kind of creates a barrier between you and the people who don't have it. But in Chinese culture, it's actually quite the opposite. If somebody is your Sifu, the person who has accepted to teach you, the fact that you can call them Sifu implies an extremely close relationship. So it's a really big deal that you can call somebody Sifu because it, it means this person has taken a personal interest in your growth as a martial artist and as a human being. If somebody is your Siheng, elder Kung Fu brother, Sibak, Sizuk, whatever, then that means within the family tree they're actually quite close to you. So this is all good stuff. Um, where Westerners get tripped up is people who are not their students. Uh, where it's this kind of thing like, no, you have to call me Sifu. It's like, dude, you're not my Sifu. I don't have to call you Sifu. I can opt to call you Sifu so-and-so. Because it, it's actually not correct in Chinese culture to call anyone Sifu who's not your own Sifu. Because you, in, in Chinese culture, you have only one Sifu. So there's one person you can call Sifu, all right, in traditional Cantonese. Anybody else who is an expert in martial arts, an expert in their style, but they're not your particular Sifu, you have to call them Sifu and their name, like Sifu Leung, Sifu Wong, Sifu Mike, Sifu Bill, whatever, right? In, in, in Western culture, we would put the Sifu title first. In Chinese, we would put the family name first and then Sifu. So in Chinese, it would be Leung Sifu, Wong Sifu, so on and so forth. But you wouldn't just call that person Sifu right. because you are implying that you have a, a, clo a closer relationship to that person that they have not agreed to. So Westerners think that because they're Sifu, everyone has to call them Sifu. Now, if somebody is educated in Chinese customs, martial art customs, they can opt to call you Sifu Madigan, Sifu Sean, for example, if they're not your, like using you as an example, right? Mm -hmm. But they, if they were to just call you Sifu, that's actually super rude to their own Sifu because they're kind of like disowning their own Sifu, right? They don't actually realize how rude they are. Like people will come up to me and they'll be like, oh, Sifu, it's so nice to meet you. And, and they are a student of somebody else. And, and sometimes they've even done it in front of their own yeah, Sifu. Yeah. And I feel so embarrassed because I understand it from a Chinese cultural perspective. And I just go, no, 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 no. I'd rather you just call me Alex 
then call right. me Sifu in front of your own Sifu. That is really disrespectful. They don't understand, right? So, um, and again, we have the two two characters for Fu, one meaning father or mentor, your personal, right, Sifu, your personal mentor, and then the other character, Fu, meaning expert, right? So somebody who's an expert in a blue-collar field. And, and Sifu is specifically for blue-collar fields, martial arts, uh, woodworking, um, taxi driving, a chef, all those people would be Sifus. If somebody was a scholar, uh, you would actually use a different term with, for them altogether. So um, I think it's a good thing if, if it's done in the idea that these are terms that actually bind us as being close rather than put separate us and put me on a pedestal. It actually implies that we are part of one Kung Fu family. And it's kind of a beautiful thing when it's done well and when it's done correctly. When it's done as coerciveness or you're doing it the students have to do stuff for you just because whatever if you just want to do stuff for me they should want to do it out of the kindness of their heart and not because they feel that it's some kind of like i'm running city wing chun is some totalitarian government <laughs> run right. by some overlord or something like that so so there's that issue so um the other thing i want to say is the <laughs> the last thing i'll say about that is not on the specific title of sifu but on Si Heng. Si Heng is anybody who started before you with the same Sifu, right? So as long as you have the same Sifu, if they started before you, you call them Si Heng. Even if they started one day before you or one hour before you. And even if they started one day before you and they never showed up to training again, they're still your damn Si Heng, right? Um, it doesn't mean they're good. It just means they started before you, right? So anyway, the funny thing is that people are so hot for titles, okay? Like they're not a Sifu yet, but they might already be teaching like a small group somewhere, but their Sifu hasn't given them the Sifu title yet. So then their students call them Siheng, so-and-so. And it's kind of like the ghetto Sifu title. They're not a Sifu yet, but they are the Sihangs to someone. So on Facebook, you see people who actually, their Facebook name is Siheng so-and-so. And I get friend requests. I get almost 40 friend requests a week on my a personal page and I don't I only keep my personal page for people that I know and whatever and I'm flattered people want to send me friend requests but that's why I have the public page right um, but I'll get like friend requests from people with like seeing so-and-so in their name and what they don't realize is not only is this a this is a huge faux pas in Chinese culture but it's also unbelievably arrogant in fact calling yourself in Facebook seeing so-and-so is far more arrogant than calling yourself Sifu so-and-so, even if you didn't earn the Sifu title. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> if somebody sends me a friend request and says, Sihing so-and-so, before they even met me, it, they're already implying that they're my elder Kung Fu brother. And oftentimes, the people who are using the Sihing title are very junior people who don't have the Sifu title yet. So there's no way in hell that they're my Sihing because they, they're not even a Sifu yet, right? Second, they're assuming that they're within the same Kung Fu family. Siheng is only within the same specific line. So it's like if their Sifu is somebody else, then I wouldn't call them Siheng anyway, right? So, the, but the gag is by just saying you are Siheng so-and-so, you are essentially in Chinese culture implying that you are the eldest Kung Fu brother of everybody, everywhere, <laughs> ever. And so it's funny because they think that they are using this title as some kind of 
concession to humility because they're not a Sifu yet. They're just going to use this kind of lower level. Siheng is not a title. It's a designation of someone who's your brother. So they're actually being extremely rude. It's better that they just call themselves Sifu so-and-so, even if they haven't been the title. It's, 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 it's more acceptable than being the world's eldest Kung Fu brother. Right, right, right. So anyway, that's yeah, all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> I do want to mention um, a couple quick things. One, I, you know, Sifu gets used a lot, and it also gets used by some well-meaning people that don't mean any disrespect to anybody. In fact, it's the quite opposite. They mean mm-hmm. to be very respectful. I get, um, I correspond with some with several people uh, via Facebook or the phone or Skype or whatever, and a lot of them, you know, oh hey Sifu, and they just mean it to be one hundred percent respectful, and I get that, you know. I, I I have a quick story about a. Uh, a student of mine who went to a seminar, a Jeet Kune Do seminar, I won't say with who, and he understands the the implications of the, the, the word or slash title Sifu. So to the seminar teacher, he would say, excuse me, sir, you know, things to be very cordial and respectful, but not say the, the, the name Sifu. So at the break, on the first day, a couple of the host students went over to him and said, Hey, listen, if you're going to stay at this seminar, you're referred to so-and-so as Sifu so-and-so. And my student said to him, said to them, Well, I mean it out of respect for you guys. He's not my Sifu. They're your, he's your Sifu. I haven't earned the right to call him Sifu. Right. So they say, we don't care, you'll call him Sifu. And he said, well, the other hand is, I have a Sifu. And I'm not going to disrespect my own Sifu by referring to your teacher as Sifu. Right. If you want me to leave, I'll leave. But So they brought him over to the, to the teacher. And, and he said, no, he, he, says he perfectly understood and... He didn't find anything disrespectful about it. But uh-huh. everybody was so fucking butthurt over it. Yeah, because they don't know. They don't know. But my favorite title story, and here's my all-time favorite title story. I, I've, told, I've said before that uh, years ago I used to do some um, Japanese swordsmanship. Yes. And um, I remember going to see a, a supposed teacher in uh, Aido. And I had a friend of mine who was um, of Japanese descent and grew up in Japan. And his name is James. And um, James and I went to go see this teacher. And James was very, is very uh, nice, very meek, very non-confrontational, very stereotypical Japanese, very kind, very polite, you know... So we get there, and the um, the teacher, who's a strapping Irish guy from New York, introduces himself with the title of Daisho. I'm Daisho whatever. Daisho Altoids, right? And, <laughs> and next thing you know, I look over at James, and I see him, like, smile. And, like, he goes, and I, and I, and I couldn't read it, and I see James go, your title is Daisho? And he says, yes. And he said, is that, 
is that a title that's used in Aido? Because I, I don't know that title. And I'm looking at James. I'm saying, like, I'm friends with James 10 years, and there's the most amount of words I've ever heard him say, right? So, especially to a stranger. And he goes, oh, yeah, Daisho, it means, because he goes through the whole thing about the long sword and the short sword. It's a Daito and a Shoto. And when you're given the um, a, a Daito and a Shoto, as, as you become a teacher and you're awarded this long sword and short sword, and, you know, we use the title Daisho. And so now James, I can tell, is near hysterical laughing. Oh, very good. Thank you. Right. And he looks at me like, Sean, let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> So we leave, and I'm like, what was that all about? Because other than the whole title thing, it kind of seemed like a cool place, right? Right. He goes, in Japan, Daisho is what we say, a hishi. <laughs> There's nobody... Oh, that's another thing. The guy said that he went and studied in Japan for years, oh, and that it was in Japan that he was awarded the title Daisho. Of course. And he it says, may be true. If it may be true, you don't know. Right. He says, you know, that's what he said. He goes, he goes, odds are he gave himself that title. He goes, but if somebody in Japan named him Daisho, that was that guy, that teacher in Japan, telling every Japanese person in America, stay the fuck away. <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, I just thought it was the funniest thing. So clearly it was a made up title, Daisho. And it just meant hishi in Japan. That is crazy. That's so funny. Anyway, I just thought it was uh, pretty cool. Okay, what do we awesome. got? What, what do we got next on the agenda here? Not too much, actually. I don't know, man. I think we actually covered everything that we were going to discuss this time, man. I did. Yeah, I think uh, I think we're we're getting around to it. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to be going to Miami for the whole month of December. I want to we'll, go to Miami. <laughs> I'm going to go to Miami, but I'm going to, uh, we'll still be doing the podcast. Uh, I'll be working on some of my books and some projects and things like that, but I needed to take a little bit of time just to, to get these things done because, uh, yeah, it's, it's not easy being a Kung Fu genius. <laughs> yeah, listen, you know, you, you're, 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 the, you're the guy, man. It's like, so we, when you guys, we talked about long pole before. When you studied kung yeah. fu for a week, which day yes. did you learn long pole on? Was that like oh, long pole would have to be long pole would have to be day five or six because that, that's six. getting getting towards the end there. You know what I mean? Wow, that's pretty yeah. impressive, dude. Yeah, so yeah I tell you, you, man. Took you five days to learn how to play with your pole, huh? Like no, 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 no. It took me only one day. I learned it on the fifth day or the sixth day. It only took me only one day to, to learn to play with my pole. On the fifth day, he learned the pole. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's incredible. Really, the story of my life, learning all my Kung Fu in one week. I, I It's amazing. It's really amazing. That's pretty damn impressive. Yeah, dude. Very cool. So, hey, guys, uh, if you haven't done so yet, please follow us on Facebook, Dudes of Kung Fu. Uh, give us a like, share the podcast, let people know about it. Also, if you have a chance, write reviews um, on iTunes. Uh, those things help uh, get a lot more people listening to us. Um, let people know about the podcast. Uh, let us know what you think. Write in to the uh, Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Let us know what you guys want us to talk about and uh, any other um, suggestions or improvements or whatever you guys can always write us in. And uh, don't forget, we're also on Twitter. We got a Dudes of Kung Fu Twitter profile. Go ahead and follow us there. Follow me. I'm at City Wing Chun. That's T-S-U-N. Um, also, SifaAlexRichter.com. And if you ever talk about me, the podcast, whatever, uh, don't forget to tag Dudes of Kung Fu, hashtag Dudes of Kung Fu, and hashtag Kung Fu Genius. <laughs> and for those of you that don't know how to spell genius, you can Google it. 
Yeah, I've actually seen people have already tagged me and they've spelled genius wrong. And I just go, <laughs> oh, man, Jesus, the level of the people who listen to us. <laughs> have a good week, folks. Talk to you All soon. Right, Take care.